Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District Podcast. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the face of the United Stand fan channel. He's become one of the most well-known football personalities across social media. It's the one and only Mark Goldbridge. Mark, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good to be here. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, it's great to have you on. We know, obviously, football's back and you're, you're a very busy man because of that. And we, we know you were anyway, you know, still churning out co- content before, obviously, the return of football. So, you know, it's a busy time for you. And I really appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your day to come on here. So, um, yeah, we've got, we've got a lot to discuss, obviously. We'll start off um, topical and then we've got some more general questions uh, a little, little bit later on. Okay. First of all, I think we've got to discuss the elephant in the room. I don't want to dwell on it too long because obviously I think that's what what they want really. But the, the title was won last week. I won't say where it's gone, which city it's gone to. <laughs> but obviously that that City Chelsea game wasn't particularly enjoyable. Uh, what, what was your immediate reaction to to that game, and how are you feeling after that one? Um, I, you know, so pleased with United on Wednesday night. And I'm not going to get carried away because I've seen United perform really well, and then we get disappointed the following week. I mean, you know. I'm, uh, so many countless examples of that but then I was like the Chelsea Man City game was just absolutely convinced that Chelsea would not win that game Mm. any of the and then Man City don't turn up and looking back at it I think I was quite naive and maybe we were as United fans because Man City just did what Man City do they just they mercenary city they just couldn't be bothered that Mm. that was not Man City and I give credit to Chelsea they played very very well in doing what Oli did to City effectively, which is hit them on the break and defend deep. But that wasn't Man City. It wasn't even a glimpse of Man City. And then it leads to Liverpool winning the title. But look, Liverpool are going to win the title anyway. What disappointed me was that Manchester City against Chelsea should not be three points for Chelsea. It shouldn't be. You know, Chelsea mm. have lost nine games this season and Man City have just basically given up because they, they've been embarrassed by the, the, the Scousers, really. And that that's the disappointment. I mean, I knew Liverpool were going to win the league. There's a bigger conversation around that. But I really did believe that United would catch Chelsea. And I think City have gifted them three points. And I think Liverpool will do it as well. And they're six points. They shouldn't really be getting at any mm-hmm. other point in the season if it wasn't the fact that they're both taking their foot off the pedal. Yeah, no, it is it is a massive shame. And I thought before that game, City actually looked in- incredible, you know, against Burnley and Arsenal. I thought they looked mm. really on point. And obviously in the, in the game that we really needed them to take three points for actually more reasons than one, to be honest. Obviously, to, to delay Liverpool would have been nice. And and obviously for our own pursuit of, of the top four or top five, whatever, whatever we're going to need for Champions League. And they, they couldn't deliver. So that was a shame. And on the topic of Chelsea... Last night, uh, at the time of recording, the FA Cup semi-final draw was made. And we're facing Chelsea at Wembley. Perhaps not the easiest draw. I think some of us would have been wanting Arsenal, to be honest. But uh, what do you make of Chelsea in the semis? Well, as I said on the United Stand last night, I'm glad we've not got Arsenal because it just would have turned into the pantomime with the, the old, with you-know-who yeah. on the other big <laughs> channel. They would have loved it. They would have loved to be... Uh, boosting their egos off the back of Manchester United. So I'm glad we didn't get Arsenal, even though it would have been an easier game, because I, I just can't be bothered. But that's a rivalry I don't want anymore. I mean, they're mid-table, and they're not a very good side, and they are, you know, they, maybe they will be, but at the moment, they're so far behind. So I'm glad we got Chelsea in a way, because I think Chelsea and United is, really are, you know, if Man City and Liverpool are rivals, Chelsea probably is our next stage rival. We've spent the last six years probably a little bit below Arsenal they were getting top four and stuff so I think we've surpassed that sort of club now and we're moving into the can we be the next can we get back to where we should be can we start competing with Liverpool and City and I think Chelsea and United 
really are symbolic of the two clubs that can do that. Can we both do it or will one do it? And Chelsea are looking to spend money and they've got a new manager and, and they're developing and United hopefully are going to do the same. So we've beaten three times this season. Mm. What I want to see in this game is, you know, now we've got Pogba, Rashford and obviously Bruno. We beat them three times by what I would say is parking the bus and hitting them on the break, which has been very effective. But I don't think that's a future plan and I don't think it's Ollie's future plan. So hopefully we won't see a back five in this FA Cup semi-final. We'll actually have a go at them. Mm. And I would rather beat... If we beat them this time, it will, the other three results won't mean anything to me because if we beat them playing the way we want to play, that's far more symbolic than beating them three times on the break. Yeah. I've got to be honest, the perhaps overconfidence from some of our fans does does worry me. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. exactly celebrate... It won't be easy. Yeah, no, for, for certain. I think... The fact that we've beaten three times this season, you know, can, can we make it four? I don't know. It, it does seem a bit of an ask. So we'll have to we'll have to see what happens with with that one. And you, you say about Arsenal there, you know, the the, the pantomime. Um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get a bit of an entertainment out of them playing City. At least I hope we will. Hopefully, mercenary City, as you as you called them, don't uh, don't fold in that one. Although They'll sure... turn up for that. They'll turn up for yeah, that. Yeah, I, was... I think I think mm. he's focused on the Champions League and and they they'll be focused on the FA Cup. But I think the league, they're just. You know they know they're going to get second because of the fixtures they've got, but they're not really up for uh, you know fighting teams like Chelsea, are they? Obviously, mm. yeah. Guardiola in the pursuit of some realistic silverware, you'd think. Uh, yeah, that that would be easy pickings for City. Um, we've also just found out this morning that it doesn't look like Angel Gomez will be renewing his contract. Do you have any problems with him being let go? Do you think more could have been done to perhaps keep him at the club? Um, I think my initial reaction was one of frustration and it just goes back to the sort of helicopter view at Manchester United. It's funny, I'd put a tweet out this morning saying that, that the reason we fail is because we're run like a business and not a football club. And I just see, I see the club sort of pat, patting itself on the back because of the recent successes of Maguire and Wan-Bissaka and Bruno. But it's almost like well, now's not the time for that. You've You've had six, seven years of failure in the transfer market. You get you get it right for eight months and it's like time to go yeah we're doing everything right and yet I see Bellingham coming to the Carrington and, and going to Dortmund I see uh, Haaland being a player that Ollie really wanted and he goes to Dortmund you see Gomez a player that we openly want to keep and he's probably going to leave and however you dress it up that's that's you've got to look at the whys of that if if if, if we were letting him go because we don't think he's good enough Mm. A lot of people would complain, but you'd go, well, he doesn't want him. This, this, the, the worrying thing about this is that we do want him and he's not staying, probably because we're not giving him enough money or something like that. But ultimately, we do want to keep him. So yeah. to me, it just worries. I'm, I'm, I'm OK with Ollie at the moment. I'm OK with the team at the moment. And I think that there is development there. But they keep talking about a future plan. How can you have a future plan? if the players that are part of the future don't want to come here or don't want to stay here, and, and that worries me, I still think as a negotiation team, we need a director of football desperately, and the people who decide the transfers or decide the contract renewals are just not good at their job, and, and that's that's my perception of what's going on. Mm. Do you think Gomez got a good, you know, a, a fair crack of the whip in the first team? A lot of people have been critical of the, the game time he actually got. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that Gomez is good enough for Manchester United, and I don't know that Chong's good enough. I think what mm. should have happened this year is they should have gone on loan, and I think that was a mistake. And I think that was a mistake brought about by the fact that we got rid of Lukaku and Sanchez, and Oli didn't get replacements in for whatever reason. So he, he thought those players would be useful, and then hasn't used them. 
I mean, look, you know where I'm going to stay. Lingard has had so many chances and has underperformed so many times, none more so than against Norwich, where he was, you know, absolutely dreadful with matter as well. Mm. So you think, well, all right, Gomez might not be good, but it's not like there isn't other players getting chances who are no good. So yeah. I can't understand why he's not been given a chance. And you get, look, fans will change fans will take any news and one will go one way and one will go the other. And you've got some fans going, he's just not good enough. He's too small. I'm glad he's going. But the sad thing is, if he does go, and it looks like he will, he's never been given that chance in the team. And I can't agree with people who say, well, he's not good enough because he's not been given the chance. And it's not like people who have been given a chance have been good enough. So I, I think that's a that's a bit of a shame, yeah. Mm, I'll take your point on that. And I think, I, I don't personally particularly think he was good enough. But as you say, didn't get a fair enough chance. And I remember at Old Trafford when he made his his debut, I was actually there. I don't I don't get up to Old Trafford much, only a couple of times a season. But I was there for, for his debut against Palace and there was a sense of excitement as there always is with a with a new you know, debutant. Well it, it was Rooney, wasn't it, passing it Rooney came off exactly. for him and it was like this is good and it was under Mourinho as well. It's mm. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it, real excitement about that and it is it is a shame when you think, you know, all that excitement and you know that yeah, that pass and the baton as you say to, to the Rooney substitution and now he's being let go. So yeah, it is it is a bit of a shame, but um but but it is what it is. We'll have to see where he ends up. I'm not do you, do you think he'll get a a, a deal at a, a sort of top European club and maybe loaned out? I, I personally think, look, looking at it pragmatically, my issue with this is that we wanted to keep him and he's saying no. I think that's, that that reflects on the club and their negotiation ability, which is where I think the issue is. On the player himself, I actually do take on board that, look, the club wanted to keep him. Whether he was going to be good enough or not, I think next season he had to go on a loan and then you see what he can do in the championship. If he, it'd be, I'd be very surprised if he does go to Chelsea, even though a lot of people think that's where he's going to go. I think if he went to uh, a Benfica, or or a, or a Spanish club. Mm. I mean, look, dream scenario for him would be someone like Barcelona because I think in that sort of team where they are very much about moving the ball on the ground and it's a little bit more space, I think that's where he could develop into a player. I'm not sure he, he would blossom in the Premier League and I think that's probably what you think as well. Mm. But So I think a move abroad would do him good, but it, I only think Spain or Portugal, I think if he's going Italy or France or the Premier League, it'd be very interesting to see what his career becomes. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think a, te- a technical game obviously does suit his sort of build and his perhaps the criticism of his size a bit a bit more. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that one. Moving on to some more personal questions, I, sh- I should say. No, nothing too personal, but... Um, That's fine. <laughs> why, why, why did you start the United stand, first of all, and what are your future aspirations for the channel? Um, so, I mean, I started it because, I mean, look, I've always loved fan opinion and fan conversation from you know when I was at school to down the pub to on your lunch break when you're at work you know I would always gravitate to lads who talked about football I've never I do know people who don't like football but the conversation is somewhat you know (laughs) it's difficult at times whereas football it doesn't matter whether someone supports Liverpool or or, or, uh, Chelsea or whatever you I'll still talk football because I love it and if they're a United fan even better so I've always loved uh, uh, talking uh, with people about football and I think that the opinions you get are just very real whether it's you know I've been to watch United a lot um, and and lots of football uh, growing up not so much now because of the United stand and the conversations you get in the pub or even you know when you sat there at half time with people that you only ever see at the ground it's just it's real and I think what you get on Sky and what you get on BT and what you get in the mainstream media 
it's scripted, filtered. It's not all scripted, but it's very filtered. And it's done because they're paying massive amounts of money to these clubs. They know these players. And therefore, they can't say what they like. But as a fan, you're so passionately ingrained in your club. And and you will be honest if you play bad or if you if a player plays badly or there's a bad result. Mm. So I love that. And I just didn't think that there was anything out there, especially for Manchester United fans, doing that. So that was that was my idea. I used to spend a lot of time on like the old forums and it's just not interactive. It's not quick enough. So mm. I thought, you know what, YouTube, let's just start doing a Sunday night show. And we did. We did it for about six months and we got really excited when we had 100 people watching eventually. And then it sort of grew from there. So, I mean, look, the tagline is real fan opinion for real fans, which, you know, people can take that ever however they want. But that is ultimately what we were looking for was to just get the conversation going like we are having now, you know, and and, and, and uh, between fans who are really interested in football. And there, the, there's loads of people who have that. And I, and I just think it's now become its own area where obviously you know you've got your podcast and your socials etc and we've got the united stand and uh uh, where it's going to grow out to um i don't know i mean it's surpassed massively anything i ever thought i remember we got fifty thousand subscribers on on youtube and you know fifty thousand followers on twitter and it was like wow so that just shows you you know i know where we are now but i was like i couldn't believe we hit that so where we go to um i don't know but um it's um it's been a it's been an enjoyable journey but obviously it's had its challenges as well mm, no for sure and you say there about the um sort of authentic authenticity of, of fan opinion one thing that some people have perhaps been critical of is the sort of perceived negative in in sort of quotation marks attitude adopted by some yeah. of those who feature on the United stand and it's the same on twitter and the same on you know arsenal fan tv for example a massive um thing that's always been aimed at them is that they're you know opportunists who are you know, t- you know, being negative for the sake of it. Um, yeah, this is something that I've been bashed for as well, by the way, on Twitter. And I'm very sort of. I think everyone knows where I stand on it. Um, how how would you respond to those sort of criticisms about the negativity? Look, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's no there's no point, you know, dressing it up anyway. There are people uh, in the in the Manchester United fan base who don't like the United stand or, and you know, the United stand probably is symbolic because it's the biggest, but there's lots of other outlets. There's lots of other Twitter accounts who have similar views. Mm. Um, and there's, there's people within the United fan base who just don't like that. And whatever, however we dress it up, they will never like us. And, and I, and I think I know why they don't like us. And I don't think it's anything to do with our, our opinions. I think it's to do with the fact that, um, you know, maybe for some, we're not from Manchester, so that you get the lies about who you really support, which all of us on the United stand are Luton, Arsenal or Forest fans, which is just, you know, bigoted nonsense. Yeah. Um, you've got um, some people who just don't like the success of it. Some people who just don't like negativity around their club at all. All opinions. And, and, and that's that's ultimately what it's all about. But I mean, look, I, I know Robbie, I know F- AFTV and, and they've done a great job. I think the United Stand is completely different. I think that, you mm. know, when I watch their watch alongs at the moment, when they're all in a room, we could have done that. I have got no interest in doing that. The watch along we do has always been the way I do it. And that's not because I don't think Flex or anyone else could do it. But I like what we do. I, and we've yeah. done that for years. It's like me and, and it's a live chat. And that, and that just works. I wouldn't do. I think the AFTV approach is a bit pantomime. Mm. And I don't think it's scripted at all, but I think you leave yourself wide open to that. When a goal goes in and you've got six or seven or eight people there, it's just competition for who can do the wackiest thing. And I think that is why 
you're always going to get criticised. And I don't think Robbie cares, but, you know, I think he would take that on board that you are going to get criticised and he'd say, I don't care. But Mark, what frustrates me is that obviously we had the thing with Rance a couple of weeks ago. And look, that was very, you know, that was a very hot topic. And people are like, why is he still on the channel? Mm. And I'm like, well, for one, you're not going to, I'm not going to kick somebody off the channel for that. It wasn't said on the channel. It wasn't, you know, it was addressed on our channel, but it wasn't said on our channel. And obviously if he'd said it on our channel, there would have been, there would have been, you know, deeper ramifications from that in relation to the chat that we'd had. But he came on the channel and he said what happened. And ultimately, you know, realistically, I don't agree with half the things he says, probably more. I mean, I think his opinion on Luke Shaw is ridiculous, but mm. it would be totally against what we're meant to be about to kick start kicking people off because they've got a different opinion to what somebody else has got. You know, that's the great thing about the fan cams after the game is that you might have two or three people that you really like listening to and there might be two or three that you just think they talk out the, the backside really and mm. ultimately the chan- the channel's doing what it's there to be what it's there to do then um you know and you know there are lines that people can cross and i think you know obviously people have skirted close close to that line and obviously people could be removed from the channel if they went over the line but I mean, realistically, I think a lot of people just get very angry because people have a different opinion to them. And then you're generating what you want, which is, you know, people to have, uh, you know, to have their own opinions. But unfortunately, some people just take it beyond that to obsessive levels. And look, I get called negative. It gets called the negative standard. I I find it hilarious because ultimately I've never been negative. Mm -hmm. I have said Ollie out after the Burnley game and and I said, why? Then we bought Bruno and I was like, look, this is the player we should have got. Let's see what happens. And surprise, surprise, it's worked well. But ultimately, any negativity I've got is always because I want Manchester United to be back where I know they should be, where I've seen them be. That's not negative. That's saying things are going wrong at our club. And as we were just saying there, I still have massive concerns about the ownership and negotiation status. And I feel that every manager, including Oli, is always doing it with one arm tied behind the back. If that's negativity, then... I don't want to be positive because we're not where we should be. No, I completely agree. I'm completely with you on that. And those sort of criticisms are something that I've been met with as well. The the sort of, you're being too pessimistic and that sort of thing. Um, But it is quite surprising when you think that you're being sort of directed with that. And there's, there's so many more, you know, really negative. You know, for example, the LUHG accounts, which I'm sure you're... (laughs) <laughs> aware of um that their presence is is always there on <laughs> on my timeline whether i follow them or not but um but yeah no it is it's surprising you know everyone's opinion is their opinion and i think you've just got to respect that and and um t- taking the different viewpoints as much as possible um back on to united uh united dino asks realistically where do you think united will finish in the league and is it possible for us to win the europa league and fa cup I, I, I said during lockdown, I thought United would finish third and Chelsea would finish fourth. I think that, you know, I, I would not have predicted City do that and I wouldn't predict that Liverpool will lose to Chelsea. And unfortunately, if Chelsea do take four or six points from those and they've already taken three, it might make it hard for us to get that third spot. You know, I took it on the fact that teams would continue to perform how they have been. And I think that Catching Chelsea is difficult now because of that result against City and what I think will happen against Liverpool. But I think Leicester, and that and that does make top four harder for United, but I, I do think Leicester are gettable. You know, six points is three if we beat them and we've just got to keep winning our games and I, I think we will do that. So, I, I you know, maybe not third anymore, but I certainly think we'll, we'll be in top four. 
Um, Europa League will be look if we get top four and then we go into the Europa League it's going to be a really exciting tournament because we know we've got Champions League football and we can just go out there without any pressure and try and win a tournament that's got Inter in it Wolves in it Leverkusen in it and it'll be like a mini sort of Euros that we didn't get with with uh, domestic clubs so mm. I think we could win that I think the FA Cup funnily is probably the hardest of the lot to win and probably the one I'm, I don't really care if we win it I, I know, obviously I do want to win it now we're in it and and you know if you beat Chelsea you're playing City so of course you want to win both those games but the priority for me would be um, Champions League and the Europa League and then if we get to the FA Cup final and we win it great yeah no I agree with you there I think yeah definitely definitely you know winnable the Europa League FA Cup is going to be a tough ask I think Chelsea as we as we know are perhaps doable but won't be won't be easy as we saw with their performance against City and then in the final, we're gonna we're gonna perhaps meet Manchester City. I mean, if Arsenal somehow get their way past City and we get past Chelsea, then I then I'm really very confident. I got to be honest. Although you know, the Arsenal fans will say that they they beat us last time out. So, um, but they haven't. I I always said that they haven't met Bruno yet. They haven't met Mr. Fernandez yet. So uh, we'll have to I don't see know what if... they're talking about when they're on about this. I had this yesterday. I said, you know. They're just coming at me with like 2-0 in yeah. January. And I'm like, so who who played in that game then? I, I know Pogba didn't play. Um, I know Bruno didn't play. And mm. I just, I don't, man, they're just deluded. They're deluded. <laughs> they were, if City beat them, I'd actually be, I'd be stunned. I really would. I mean, unless, like you said earlier, if City don't turn up, then maybe Arsenal can do something. But they are absolutely crap. I've seen them play probably three times in the last sort of two weeks. And mm. uh Sheffield United should have beat them yesterday. Southampton should have beaten midweek. Um, so you know, confidence before a fall with them. But uh, yeah, yeah, they'd love that. They'd love a final against us. They'd uh, they'd build that up like uh, like so, it was another invincible. I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one debate that's been very prominent in recent weeks is that of Dean Henderson versus David Hare. It's actually become a bit of a you know scoring points match really between each side. How, how do you think United should approach that ultimatum, and do you think it should like? How do you think it should be dealt with? Do you think another season for, for De Gea then reassess? Um, I, look, I think that it's sad, always sad when you've got United fans arguing about United players. Like I think we'll see it with Pogba and Bruno. We see it with Rashford and Martial. Um, we see it all the time, and I think that I don't get the De Gea turnaround in relation to the amount of United fans were saying let's get De Gea out of the team and bring Henderson in I think look my stance is that De Gea is the best keeper and De Gea should be in goal and I think Henderson has probably shown that he's not ready for it yet because he's been the best goalkeeper in the league and then as soon as he gets mentioned for United he has two really bad games with well not bad games but makes two two or three big mistakes so that in itself shows that playing for United is going to be far more pressurised than Sheffield United but I think he's got a great future. The only thing I would say is that, yeah, I probably agree with you. Let's see how De Gea is over the next year. And then next year, obviously Henderson on loan. But next summer, we we look at the situation. Because the the talk of removing De Gea for Henderson is it's far bigger than that. It's, it's a bit like Alexis Sanchez. It's like David De Gea has just signed a new contract on about 350 grand a week. And United wouldn't let him go for any less than about 70 million. Well, who's buying him and who's paying those wages when he's not apparently playing well so that's not going to happen so are you going to put him in the reserves I'm pretty sure his, his contract probably says he's number one um, while he's at the club so I do think we wander down fantasy lane sometimes in relation to oh let's just do this let's do that or let's swap him for this or that 
And the reality is, by giving De Gea that contract, United have basically guaranteed that he's the number one for the next two years. So he will be number one next year. And then maybe there might be something to do next year. But for me, I think, you know, De Gea is probably where Martial was and where Herrera ended up and where Gomez has ended up, where this silly approach of letting contracts run down takes no account of players and the football pitch and takes total account of the bank account within the club because De Gea's concentration level started to go when his contract was running down. And I don't, you know, as I said with Henderson, he's made a couple of mistakes since we've been talking about him being United manager. And I think in high-level sport, you know, one little drop in concentration will ha- will have ramifications. So I think we'll see the best of De Gea. He's only 29, and I think De Gea can get back to what he was. And if he can get back to his one, I think, look, everybody should hope that De Gea can get back to what he was. And at his age, of course he can, because if he does, he's, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. But mm. I would agree with you, I'd, or what, what you were saying there. I think give him another year and let's see what happens. And I think within that year, we'll start to get the real De Gea back. Yeah. I completely agree, and I think one thing that I've been very sort of stubborn on is that I I, simp- I don't think a goalkeeper of his age can't doesn't just lose it overnight. I don't think that's something mm-hmm. that that you just drop, you know, the click of a finger and he lo- and he loses that ability. And I spoke on the last podcast to to John Harrison, you know, who's an expert on sort of goalkeeping and analysis on that sort of thing, and he was very you know magnanimous about the hair and said. You know his his numbers aren't what they were. The super numbers of perhaps you know the seventeen eighteen season and stuff like that. But he, but he's still you know doing a, doing a good job. And although he got he has these lapses in concentration, I think there's something that he still can iron out. And you know as you say, though we hope he returns to his best soon. Um, yeah, definitely. One player who's been on excellent form recently, before and after lockdown, to be honest, sort of this year is Nemanja Matic, who's mm. a new man really. To be honest, I, I thought. I've got to be honest, at one point, Astro, I think we all thought that his legs had maybe gone and he was perhaps done at the top level, but he's been excellent. And United Sem asks how we should go about uh, replacing Matic, because obviously he is getting old now. We need someone in that midfield to free up Fernandez and Pogba if we want to play that that midfield three. uh, Sem asks, do you think we should dip into the transfer market to do that or look to the academy for someone like perhaps James Garner? Um, I'm not so sure that Garner is a CDM. Um, I know he's been mentioned there, and obviously anybody can become it. But uh, he, he gets quite a few goals in the in the reserves, and um, I think obviously he will go on loan next season as well. So it'd be interesting to see what he develops into. I mean, look, he's got star qualities. He's he's 18, so you know he needs a loan, and he can be you know it's it's, it's more difficult for midfielders and defenders to break through at 18 because. As a striker, you can be in and out of a game. Whereas a midfielder, as we saw with Gilmore yesterday, Chelsea had a terrible first half, and you know it gets exposed when you're young. Um, but when you are young, you're going to be in and out of games. So Garner's a, an interesting player. There might be a couple of others. I mean, people have mentioned people like Dylan Levitt and that. But I, if I was United, I would go out and buy. Um, and look, everyone's going to have their own opinion. I really like Tenali at Brescia. Mm. Um, I think Samari, Zakoria, whoever, whoever it is, whoever your CDM is, um, I would go and buy them this summer and give them a year with Matic to sort of learn the ropes. And obviously Carrick's there as well as a coach, which is great. I, don't, I think Matic has got another year in him and then he's probably going to start declining because of age, like you said. But I, do, I don't think McTominay is it. I don't think Fred's the answer. And I don't know that we've got anyone in the youth team. And, you know, you say someone in the youth team, it, a youth player is not going to just come in and take over. They're going to have to be, you know, probably take two or three years to grab the, the role themselves. So mm. um, I do think we need one. I think it's a very important position. 
Um, and I think Matic has been fantastic. And I think Matic, to me, symbolises what I, what I hope United fans start to do a little bit more, is that this is a player that, you know, the videos are out there. Static Matic, cement legs, whatever. Mm. I've, I called him all that, and I stand by it. Last year, he was awful for a year. And, and like people say, oh, he's proved you wrong. He's not proved me wrong. No, yeah. He's turned yeah, it yeah. round. And if I had an agenda against Matic, I would, I'd still say, oh, no, I don't rate him. Don't rate him. No, no, no. Well, I haven't got an agenda. I want United to do well. Last year, I thought he was terrible. This year, he's been brilliant. And I will praise him, and as I have done. And I think he's absolutely fantastic. But unfortunately for Matic, he, he can't be the future. And if we're not winning the title for another year, two years, three years, he won't be part of that. So we've got to have a contingency. And for me, it would be dip into the transfer market and get somebody who doesn't come and kick Matic out straight away, but comes in and has the potential to do it and and, and shares the role with him. Because Matic won't be able to play 60 games next year anyway. Mm. And I must say, I completely agree with what you say there about, you know, last year I was the exact same with Matic. And I've, I was very critical last year of a lot of players, Marcus Rashford, another one, and, you know, people yeah. digging up old screenshots and stuff like yeah. that, trying to, trying to make... You, you can't change silly. your mind. You can't change your mind, Henry, when it comes to football, apparently. It's no, mad. no, exactly. I know. And people get digging through their archives, don't they, with their glasses on and a, and a glass of wine, digging through your old, um, your old tweets to try and make you look silly, yeah. But no, I completely agree with, with with that approach to things. You know, opinions do change, and that's, that's got to be accepted. I was going to ask. I think one player who I massively like to replace Matt is Declan Rice of West Ham. I know a lot of people. He does divide opinion. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a very high price. What, what do you think of Declan Rice as a potential replacement? I've changed my opinion on him a little bit because I think that I don't want to be, you know, I can be quite stubborn on things, but I think actually I, I do think lockdown is, is such a, an elephant in the room as well, but it, it definitely has changed my approach in the sense that I don't really want to be, and I was trying not to be anyway, but I don't really want to be that pig-headed, stubborn person. And I see certain people on the United stand who I look at and I think, oh God, was I like that before lockdown sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't rate Declan Rice and I, but I can't say I've seen loads of him. I've probably seen him play six games this season. I'm going to watch him play against Chelsea on Wednesday, actually. I'm looking forward to it. Um, because he might be, you know, yourself, and there are people out there who I, you know, I respect that I think, well, you know what? They they see something in it. And what I would say about Declan Rice is I don't, I don't particularly rate him, mm. but he's ridiculously young. He's playing in the Premier League. And there are people out there who do rate him. So there's there's something there. And it could be like McTominay. I didn't see. I couldn't understand McTominay at all. I was like, why is Mourinho giving, making up awards for him? Why is he yeah. getting picked? I don't rate McTominay at all. But in the back of my head, I was like, Sir Alex really likes him. Carrick really likes him. And now you're starting to see, oh, right, there is something there. So Declan Rice could be that. And also, if West Ham get relegated, why would yeah. we not do that deal? Because you'd probably get him for about 40 million. And, you know, what, he's younger than I think. He's like 20, 21 or something yeah, like that. He's young. So, yeah, so they, look, they might look. I'm not going to say no. He's not. From what I've seen, I don't really think so. But like I say, I'm looking forward to watching him on Wednesday. And uh, you know, maybe there is a player there. It just worries me a bit about the old Brexit FC, though. I think I think Ali um, is buying a lot of players that are very you know British based. And I think you can get, as we've seen with Bruno, really good um, players abroad if you scout well for who are better and cheaper. But mm. you know. We'll see. Um, yeah, and you know, you touched on there the sort of English contingency, and there's another man that's been linked heavily, and the man who was really seen as an alternative to Bruno, but someone who's continually linked with, with the club is is Jack Grealish. Uh, and the FC Capper mm. asks, would you rather United signed Grealish, obviously the English, the Englishman, or, or Donny Van der Beek from Ajax? I think um, I think Van der Beek's better. 
Uh, I really do. I think his pedigree is better, but then you've got the risk, and I think he'll be cheaper, and and he's younger. So, and look, I think he's a player that could play for Barcelona or Real Madrid. So why would United want not want him uh, at their club? So I, I I would, if I'm asking right now, I would take Van der Beek, but then you've got the risk of look. There are players that have come from Holland have done well, but there's been players that haven't done well. Jack Grealish, look, I think he's I. I think, you know, if you'd asked me three or four months ago, I would have said Madison's better than Grealish. Now I don't. I think Grealish is, you know, I've seen him play a lot recently. Um, and before that, before lockdown, you know, saw him a few times. His stats were better than Madison and he's doing it in a terrible side. Like Villa are rubbish. So mm. he gets fouled a lot. He's the only player in that team who's got any creativity. And yet he still managed to outscore Madison for goals and assists in a, in a team that's a relegation side. So... I, I think if we end up with Grealish, I'd be very happy. I think he's a talented player. He's got the right attitude. He's a captain of that club. He's a leader. And um, ultimately, he'd be coming in, into United as a bench player who has the potential to put, you know, hopefully the motivation and hunger to push somebody out. I mean, he's not going to be ahead of Bruno or Pogba or Matic for me. But as we saw against Norwich, you'd start him in that game. And yeah. I think he would hopefully have the passion to... Um, want to get himself in the first team so I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a good signing Grealish and I, and I know for a fact United are, I'd say he's probably the number one player they're looking at in the midfield whether that happens or not look depends on a lot of things but um, I, I, I would like Grealish at United yeah no I'm, I've got to say I'm a massive fan of, of Jack Grealish as well but Van der Beek as well obviously you know an excellent player it's just whether Van der Beek is really what we what we need would be my argument. And I've asked quite a few people. We know we had um, the European lad on a few weeks ago who's an Ajax fan to talk about Van der Beek. And I said, do you think he has the sort of ability to replace Matic and play as that sort of solid, you know, lone, almost pivot DM type sort of player? And he said he think he does have that. But I don't think that's what and he said. He, you know, that's not what he's best suited to, more of an attacking no. player, really, and a sort of free playmaker in that midfield. And the only thing I'd say is Grealish perhaps more versatile. If you're looking at these two as squad players really which is what I think they'd be as you said there you know wouldn't get in ahead of you know Matic Bruno Pogba but would play in the sort of that the Norwich game and the rotation games I think Grealish is more versatile in that sense that you know he can play on the left probably maybe could play out on the right but can play at 10 as well very well and you know maybe even in the midfield three so that's what I think yeah. Grealish is better in that sense but you know e either or to be honest both excellent young talents who you know as, as you said there would, would welcome to United with open arms to be honest um, United Ryan asks uh, your realistic ideal lineup on match day one for the uh, 2021 season. Uh, De Gea in goal, Wan Bissaka, um, Maguire, and God, it's, it's so hard because I do like Lindelof, but we're not winning a title with Lindelof and Maguire. Over a season, they will cost you goals because of their lack of pace, like they did Spurs and many other games. So. Yeah. But I don't know that Bay Bay worries me. I know he's got the pace, but he worries. I'd love to. I'd love to think it'll be Twan Sebi, but he, can he get fit? So that right, that centre back position, I'd probably got to say Lindelof, um, Luke Shaw left back, Matic holding the midfield with Pogba and Bruno, Rashford on the left, Martial up front, and Sancho on the right. Yeah, there you go. Lovely. You, so you, I know you're very magnanimous about Luke Shaw, someone who has been you know taken massive flack off. You know. The entire fan base, I think it's fair to say, you know, everyone's given Luke Shaw a bit, to be honest. Apart from you, I think I must say, you've been very supportive of Luke Shaw. Um, do, do, you, do you genuinely think Luke Shaw is the man to be part of a title-winning squad? Or do, do you think, you know, is he good enough for that level? I think he does 
need to add goal uh, assists to his game in the final third. But I don't. What, what I'm I'm happy to have a conversation about Luke Shaw. Is he a very good player or is he a top class player? I'll have that conversation. But I, the conversation I just can't relate to is. I think he's a top class left back in the making. I think at the moment he's very good, but a lot of people think he's absolutely crap. And I'm like, I just can't get into that conversation because I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, I don't see it. I think that he defensively was our best centre back when he played in a back three. Mm. I think as a left back, you know, I go back to that game against City where Mares was turning Williams inside out, and he brought Luke Shaw on, and he just pocketed him straight away. So defensively, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I think he's a very, very good defensive left back. Going forward, um, he's actually very good at, um, you know, like that game against Norwich, he was very good at it, where you're playing against 10 men and he just keeps the ball moving. You know, move the ball and find the space. And I think because he doesn't take people on and he doesn't whip across in, we've got this modern phenomenon that you've got to be like Trent Alexander-Arnold. And for me, I think Wan-Bissaka's the better right-back because he actually does his job, which is defend. So, again, I think Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka do need to add more going forward because United's always been about width, and I understand that. And there's probably a better left-back out there for United. But is it a priority situation? No, we've got other priorities. Um, is Williams better than him? Not yet. So for me, I'm, I'm very happy with Luke Shaw as our left-back. And I still think that he can get better, even though at his age you'd say, well, is he hitting his sort of ceiling? But I, I still think he can get better. He's, he's overcome the injury problems, um, you know, people talk about his weight and yet he's one of the quickest players in the club so I don't know I don't know I wish we didn't have this in the club I really do wish we didn't have fans who can't change their opinion on a player Um, and you know there's certain people in the United Stand who who are two or three who are like this about Shaw and I'll say it to their face you know I don't (laughs) get why you can't give him a bit of credit but um, I'm very happy with him I think he's he's not a problem for us it's not an area I would be looking to spend money on when there's five other positions I would Mm. No, I've got to be honest. I've I've been very crit- critical of uh, of Luke Shaw as well. But this, as you say, this sort of season and this year specifically, you know, you touched on when he played in that back three, um, and it obviously had a bit of cover there. Played on sort of the wide left bit with Harry Maguire down the middle. I thought, yeah, he looked very good in that. And I remember Anfield actually in the game that we unfortunately lost. I think it was two 0 I don't really remember. We don't talk about it. But um, but but Shaw was excellent in that game. Uh, I remember specifically, and you know, this season he has been much better. And I, whether I think he's he's good enough to, to perhaps play the title side, and you know, a, t- a top top side, I'm not sure. But but I respect that you're what you're saying there. In that you know, there's many other positions to to look at first. Obviously, right wing being one of them. Um, what what other positions do you think we should target first and foremost? Obviously. Right wing is the priority. Where else do you think we should look at? Um, I think um, right wing, definitely. Um, CDM is probably the thinking person's priority because I, I think we needed that last year and we didn't get it. And we're only not talking about it now because Mastic has had a renaissance. So, I, you know, as much as Mastic is great at the moment, he could drop off. You know, he's done it before. So mm. then that position becomes a problem. So CDM, right winger. Um, I I I don't I don't like the Agalo deal. I don't. So I would say striker, but the ship has sailed because it should have been Werner. Uh, I do like Agalo, but I don't like the deal. I don't like keeping a player halfway through a season. I think again, it's about saving money. He's thirty-one. Um, I'd be worried if Martial got injured and then Agalo's playing every week. To be honest, I think he's a good bench player, but I don't think he's. I think you need a bit more competition. But hopefully, you know, Greenwood looks a top, top player. 
Um, and probably the, the position we were talking about, the, the midfielder who's got some diversity in relation to they can play attacking midfielder, box to box. And I think, you know, your Grealish or your Van der Beek could do that. So, yeah, the midfield, two midfielders with different roles, a right winger, a striker, um, potentially then a centre-back, mm. because I think, um, you know, have we got the centre-back to play next to Harry Maguire? I don't know. Um, I think Lindelof... Is a, is a very good centre-back. I just don't think they work as a combo. Um, so, yeah, they'd be the five positions I'd be looking at if I had, you know, the money to do it. Yeah. You touched on there the striker position, which is an interesting one. A lot of debate over that one as well. And obviously, the Agalo deal did divide opinion, especially at the beginning when he first came in on loan. The extension, not so much, I think. It's interesting that you say, you know, you weren't a massive, a massive fan of that. I think it's a tough one, the striker position, in that, when you go out and sign a striker, I think at Manchester United, if you're going to sign a backup, it's very hard to do that because mm. wherever you're going to sign the backup from, they're probably a starter at, at that original club. Um, you know, for example, you touched on their team, Ovana. You know, would you bring in, would you have brought in, I should say, obviously he's now unavailable due to going to Chelsea. Would you have brought him in and started him ahead of Martial and rotated them? Or how would you have, you know, dealt with that, with, with Werner? I mean, it's I, I I've seen United uh, fans sort of saying United stand before. Oh, we don't need a striker because it'll it'll ruin Greenwood's development. And I think you know, is this not the mental block that we have as a football club now that we are we've forgotten how to be good? Because you know, I can remember Berbat. You're not knowing who was going to play up front. Was it going to be Berbatov? Would he be on the bench? And you know, you go back to the '99 final. You've got Sheringham and Solskjaer on the bench, and these are great problems to have. We've got it with our midfield at the moment, like McTominay and Fred are on the bench. So why can't you have quality strikers on the bench as well? Um, you're right, you've got to keep them happy. And But but if we'd bought Werner, then it's like, well, if Martial's on the bench because Werner's better or, or likewise, or you know, Martial goes to the left and Rashford goes to the bench, you know, the, the, these are the problems that you want to have. And I think this is, the, this is where it went wrong against Norwich. We played really well against Sheffield United. He brings in players thinking, you know, the McTominays, the Lingards, the Matters, the Freds, they're going to they're gonna put in eight or nine out of ten performances because they've seen that the, t- the first team's doing well and they want to be part of that, and then they let you down. So I think United just need some real quality throughout that team. And we spoke about Grealish. He's a prime example of what I would like to see up front, a player that's, you know, the best player at Villa who will probably come to United yeah. knowing that he's not going to get in the team but believing he can get into the team and willing to be part of what we're building. So that's the sort of striker I would like because Agarlo's like Matic. He won't he can't be part of the future. So we've got to find a solution there at some point. And anybody who says, well, it's Greenwood, that's ridiculously thin to just have Greenwood and Martial and you know, I don't think Rashford plays well down the middle anyway. I think you need at least three strikers. And at the moment we've got Martial, Agarlo, and an eighteen year old who, you know, you want to develop, not put the pressure on. So I would have liked us to bring a striker in. I, I would have took Werner. Um, uh, and I think there's a lot of strikers around at the moment, you know, whether it's Jimenez or Agarlo or Osman or, you know, there's loads. There's absolutely loads. But United obviously have uh, decided to stick with a player that, let's be honest, I mean, agarlo has been a revelation, but it was an absolute panic buy that could have gone mm. the other way very easy. Yeah. And you touched on there, you know, you know, the likes of Jimenez. I think Raul Jimenez specifically would be a, a magnificent signing if he would agree to be a backup. Which, um, again, I think that's a really tough, tough sort of mental block. I know, you know, United have still got that pull. Obviously, let's not, let's not be silly. You know, we're still a humongous, you know, footballing institution. But 
you know, if Jimenez would agree to being a backup, which he might do, I think that would be a great signing. I think the backup at United, I think it's always good to have a target man, whether some people think that fits the United philosophy or not. I'm, you know, people are critical of that. I think a target man to have off the bench is is the best thing. And that's why I was actually quite happy with the Garlit ones, because I think, you know, even though he is this sort of, as you say, ageing, 31 years of age, not not for the future, really. At least he's a different profile to what we've got. And I think mm. the other option who was discussed heavily in January was was Josh King, who I think, you know, would be, would have been an awful signing in my eyes. You know, despite him being a little bit younger than Igala, I don't think his, yeah, prof- his profile was anything different. Um, I, I don't think he would have, would have added anything, really, Josh King. I don't know where you stand on that. No, I'm, I'd, I'd be totally opposed to that because he's he'd be a player that'd probably be here for four years, um, and I, and I worry about that with Ollie a little bit because it's this whole story around is it Solbakken and and agents that he knows, and you know I think he he's he, I think Agarlo's agent is very close to Solbakken, he's very yeah. close to Ollie. The same with Josh King. United can't be doing mates rates. You go and get, you know, if you don't know the agent of a player that you want, you, you you get to know them. You don't start doing deals because you know people. And I think that Josh King deal sort of stunk a little bit of him being Norwegian and friendships and this would be a deal he wants to do on the final day. Um, I mean, look, I think Agarlo works for now. I would have been happy for Lukaku to stay if he'd have stayed on the bench. I didn't want him to start. But, you know, you want the best player you can get on the bench who's happy to be on the bench. And, and you're right, it's it's a balancing act about getting players who want to do that. Um, and at the moment, Agalo does a good job there, but it's it's a very weird deal, I think. I think, you know, surely we're going to extend him next to get in January because what if, we're, what if we have a really good season next year and we get to Christmas and we're in a race for the title and then Agalo's off and you're like, you know, you get a bit, you get a couple of injuries, and you, you just limp towards the end of the season. It's a real that's that's what I don't like about the deal. I don't like this whole January thing. It's just a really weird deal. If surely he's going to mm. stay to the end of the season. Yeah, no, it is, it is a weird one in that sense. I, I understand what you mean. And finally, we've got a question from uh, United Excellence with a with probably the best question of the podcast. Be honest. Uh, what's your favourite pizza topping? Personal preference, of course. <laughs> um. <laughs> I I do like pineapple on pizza, so that's probably going to make me unpopular. But I do like <laughs> pineapple on a like a ham and pineapple Hawaiian thing. I, I I can I can do fruit on hot food, so that's nice. But I think my favourite is probably like barbecue chicken or something like that. But there's not many actually. There's not many pizza toppings I don't like. So um, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with anything. But I probably would go for the more meat feast or chicken barbecue sort of pizza like that. Mm. Get me hungry now. <laughs> Dividing opinion with the uh, Hawaiian pizza from from football to pizza, you know we can always trust uh, trust you to divide divide opinion in that sense, Mark. Uh, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure to to talk to you. It's been really interesting stuff we we spoke about there. I don't know if you've got any last things you you'd like to say before before you go off. Uh, I just think you know ultimately what you're doing, what we do, what others are doing. It's not, a, I don't think there's anybody out. Look, there are some people out there who are quite manipulative and I'm not going to name names and, you know, they spread bullshit, of course. But <laughs> I think the vast majority of people, whatever their opinion is, they're doing it because they believe in that opinion. And I think that if you disagree with it, I would take the positive out of that and think, well, you know, I don't agree with that opinion, but it's not my opinion. And, and I'm saying opinion a lot, but that's exactly the <laughs> word I'm trying to get across. It is all about what you think and just because somebody thinks different to you doesn't mean that they're being negative or anything like that i think there are fans out there who win lose or draw they're positive and and they support the club um there are fans out there who 
in January will start chanting things about the owners because they know that this is not really the ownership that's going to get us back on the club uh, where we need to be unless they start acting like a football club and a business. Um, what I'm trying to say is there's no mm. there's no book on how to be a top red. There never has been. There is no thing as a, such thing as a top red. Whether you're from India, Mexico, America, you're no less a fan than somebody who was born outside Old Trafford. That you know everybody's a fan of this club and everybody's got a voice as long as it's. Um, a respectful voice because we're not always going to agree. That's the whole point. I, I might think that, you know, Luke Shaw's the best left back we've got and others might think he's a load of trash. But um, it doesn't stop the fact that we, we should all have one goal and that is Manchester United being the best. And, and that's where my opinions come from. You know, whether people agree with them or not, I just want United to be the best. And that's my passion. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Mark, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you very much.